Hey, what's up? This is Gabo from Fayuca, and you are listening to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. A lot of mercy. <laughs> Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of the Sun Solar Panel. I am obviously not Tim Tompkins because it's much smoother when we uh, do the intro with the Tim, but I'm uh, Greg Esposito, host today, alongside Dave King, as always. Yo! And we are excited to bring you another fun-filled edition of the Sun Solar Panel, talking about the second worst team in the NBA, not the first. I guess technically after the tiebreaker. Technically third worst third worst team in the nba so that's two looking up man it's two spots higher than last year all right went from very worst a year ago we're three times as good this year as last year and except no substitutes by the way there is a uh barstool sports red Sox podcast that's out there pretending to be a suns podcast right now because they lost a bet Calling themselves Suns Out, Guns Out, trying to claim they're the number one pod, Suns podcast on the internet. Screw <laughs> you guys. We've we've suffered and slogged through uh, through almost three years of this stuff. So uh, go back to being Red Sox fans and leave us the hell alone, basically. Hey, at least we got AKA'd. Yeah, that's true. As opposed to the other Suns, 82 <laughs> Suns podcasts out there. That's true. I well, at first I saw this thing and I was like, "Oh crap!" There's another. There's another Suns podcast, and then yes. I realized what was going on. I think it's uh, I think they're called Section Ten or something. They're a Red Sox podcast. Lost a Section bet. Section Lost a, a a bet to a Red uh, Yankees podcast, so they had to uh, do nice. an episode as a Suns podcast. I think that was their punishment. Yeah, so, their punishment is to try to be us. <laughs> yeah, and we, we do it for for pretty much free every weekend. Unless, On purpose. Yeah. We didn't even lose a bet, Greg. No, well, you know, I feel like somehow in life we kind of did lose a bet, though, and that's uh, that's how we wound up Can you here. Imagine, you know? I mean, come on. Your punishment is to act like you're the sun's solar panel. <laughs> yep. That's... Uh, that that's punishment for a lot of people. Listening to the Sun Solar Panel is punishment for Sun people as well. So especially when Tim's not that might here. put us at the top of the reverse standings. <laughs> I heard uh, I heard Tim's out exploring uh, the strip clubs of Florida is what we were uh, what we were told. So uh, so uh, Tim clarified for us uh, start opening di- opening times on the strip clubs. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's apparently too early when we record this for him to actually be doing that. So, fun but I will fact. tell you from my experience twenty years ago when I was last um, on the single scene, they do open for lunch. They, I, I've heard, I've heard that, and I don't think I'd trust a buffet at any of those, especially. I don't think I'd want to see Florida. any of those places with daylight streaming through any windows. Although well, they most don't of the have time, windows. Yeah, I was going to say most <laughs> of the time. You drive through those places and they're just these, these, yeah, just straight big cement blocks just parked in the middle of a block. So Tim will have a full breakdown of uh, South Florida's finest when he With comes With one back. tiny in- nondescript door that looks like it almost can't open because it's been painted shut. <laughs> yeah. Dave's explaining the seedy parts of Phoenix that he's been to. Uh, even, even good parts of Phoenix, if there's a strip club there, it's that's they all look the same. Hey, you want you want to have a bad transition? Let's talk about uh, 
people who were kind <laughs> enough to donate money. I don't have an. I was trying to figure this out where Tim pulls names from of people who've donated, and I can't figure that out. So thank you to everyone this week who's donated a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. If you want to donate a hundred dollars a month, whatever floats your boat. Uh, I can't guarantee what we'll talk about on Twitter, but I can tell you that we'll talk about the Suns right here. So thank you, all of you. If you want to donate, there is a link in the uh, show notes below. You can click there, or if you're listening on uh, on Bright Side of the Sun, there's a link in the post as well. We thank you for supporting the show. And then I got to, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to hold up here. I am rocking my new Valley Boys shirt that I got. Uh, thank you to the guys over at Valley-Boys. That's B-O-Y-Z.com. They uh, they have some fabulous merchandise over there that you can pick up. Shirts, uh, hoodies, men's, women's. I even think they got some kids merch over there. So if you are looking to pick up some quality looking t-shirts uh, that, that's got the, the Valley yeah. Boys uh, moniker on it, head over there and, and you may eventually see a collaboration between us and uh, and them on the t-shirt front. So uh, keep your the eyes Valley open. Solar Boys panel? Yeah, Valley uh, Valley Pod Boys maybe. I don't know. You might, uh, you, might you might see a little collab uh, with them. So uh, definitely check. Bring in the desert heat. Yeah, valley-boys.com. Uh, I was actually interacting with them on, on Twitter. They slid into my DMs this week. We had a good conversation. and I'm, I'm surprised that... Uh, did I use that wrong? Am I not one of the cool kids when I uh, when I say that? I, I... <laughs> sliding into DMs. Yeah, I don't think anyone listening to this show wants to hear about anyone sliding into Greg Esposito's DMs. Via the Valley Boys, uh, but uh, quality shirt too. I w- I wasn't sure what to expect. Sometimes you order these uh, online T-shirts, and as you can tell, I'm a connoisseur of it. I wear something uh, a little different every week and and this is quality stuff so well worth the cash that you might spend on that so after you're done donating your dollar a month head over to valley-boys.com check out check out these shirts you can uh, look cool while supporting uh, your sons which is tough these t- these years is uh, looking cool well well being a sons fan but they uh, they make it pretty pretty easy so uh, Dave, I heard we had a few questions from fans this week that came up on Twitter. Uh, oh, and coming up on the on the <clears> podcast, <throat> if if you're slogging through this and going, oh my God, we missed missed him and wish these there's two. There's no structure. Talk. There's no direction. We're <laughs> screwed. Uh, we will be having Sam Vecini, the great writer from the Athletic, on. He did a extensive piece on what the Suns' offseason needs to look like. So uh, we thought we would get him on the program, discuss that, and he was kind enough to say, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, I don't know who the heck you guys are, but we'll talk anyways. So. <laughs> he does know who we are. What are you talking about? I know. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it, too. That's coming up in about uh, 15 minutes or so. So for the next 15 minutes, you just get to hear Dave and Greg try to answer some of our listener questions. So we posed the question on Twitter earlier this week, the other day, actually probably yesterday. Uh, what do you want us to talk about on tomorrow's show? So that makes sense that it was yesterday. Which would um, be Friday because we record first, on Saturday and this is all just damn confusing right now. The first response was don't talk politics like Dave King NBA seems to do. Uh, I occasionally retweet <laughs> other posts that show up in my feed. I don't actually generally... In fact, almost never actually talk my own politics. I'm fairly apolitical. I just find some things funny, and other people don't find them as funny as I do. And 
And I'm sorry to hear that. So I hope I don't offend anybody on my Twitter handle, but I think you're probably talking about a 99% basketball related and 1% retweets of hilarious things out there that I find hilarious. So you can just scroll past those. Technically, isn't it work? Because don't you work in government? So yeah, I I think it just counts as work. Totally apolitical. (laughs) I work for a non-political government entity, yes. Yeah, so... So, yeah, leave Dave alone on Twitter. I mean, I wish he'd shut up about everything, but, you know, <laughs> he won't. So just scroll past it and uh, and enjoy the rest. So I promise I won't ever talk politics because my brother works in it and I get enough of it in text messages with him. So don't worry about it. I'm just going to make dumb dad jokes on Twitter because uh, that's what you're all here for. So we had another question, this from Jake Bronger. Uh, who's a, a big fan of the show and uh, on Twitter and all that. Um, Jake suggests uh, that he and Justin of the Fanning the Flames podcast had an idea that the Suns should really build their team around Jimmer Fredette. So the Suns should really actually just blow out that entire theme and make it uh, a whole team that's around uh, uh, their value coming out of the draft and has nothing to do with their value in the NBA. So the suggestions are to uh, round out the roster around Jimmer Fredette with such players as Adam Morrison, Johnny Flynn, Anthony Bennett. Uh, and they didn't mention this, but I'll go ahead and say the candy man, Michael Olawa Candy. If we could just get those guys on the team with the head coach being Jake Sakalitis. For some reason, Jake is the head coach and not one of the players. Maybe it's. Maybe they need to be young enough Should, to still play. I'm not really sure. Shouldn't Skittish Vili be the uh, ah, be the head Nicholas, coach? Nicholas. Nicholas Skittish Vili. I mean, I think that. Oh, and doesn't that mean Dragon Bender gets to keep a spot on this roster? <laughs> yeah. Dragon's getting re-signed. We would actually on this roster, they'd probably give him a max contract. Isn't isn't that the way that they fielded the uh, the the last few teams uh, outside of? Uh, we'd have outside. to, yeah. <laughs> we'd have to actually bring back Marquise Chris, right? He'll be a free agent this summer. Yeah, I think you'd have to do that. Uh, I'm trying to think of Anthony Bennett gets a gets a home back here, which is nice. He spent mm-hmm. uh, he was, a cup of he coffee was on in the preseason. Naz Suns. Yeah, he, he played preseason with the regular Suns, so you you get to mm-hmm. see Anthony Bennett back in uh back in purple and orange. The scary thing is. When a team's tanking, that's actually the kind of guys that they look at. Oh, hey, look at <laughs> this guy had a, a bunch of potential. We're just trying to to re uh, rework that value. The only way I bring Adam Morrison back is if he grew the hair back out and had the mustache. Well, uh, you, you have know. to have the hair and the mustache. Yeah, there is no Adam Morrison without the hair and mustache. Well, there is. I I saw him not too long well, ago. I think I'm pretty he had sure. to change his name then. Somebody. That's just not the same guy. Um, no, uh, I'd actually rather have Van Morrison than Adam Morrison on a on a team at at this point. But uh, even though he's I, dead, yes, I I love I, I love that uh, this is the things that Suns Twitter is talking about <laughs> now because <laughs> everybody else has got playoff fever and we're talking about uh, making sarcastic jokes about building around Jimmer for debt. It's uh, it's wonderful that that's where we where we are. Like. Here Look, we are. It's yep. it's a, almost ten years since the last time we saw playoff basketball. The the world's got the the NBA world has has fever in in terms of playoff basketball right now. Watching good hoops and uh, and we're stuck here talking about uh, about this. And poor Sam Vecini has to write uh, two thousand words about it. Uh, well, he did uh, it early in the team. off season, yeah. so it gets it's only uphill. <laughs> it only goes up from there for Sam. Yeah, so. 
What's, do we have another question that isn't completely sarcastic? All right. Um, yeah, we have another question. Actually, this uh, we can we can get a little uh, philosophical about this one, <clears throat> and not in a sarcastic way. We had a couple of questions. Uh, one from definitely not Ryan McDonough on Twitter, and one from Joe Shook, and they're very similar. They're basically uh, what are realistic options in the off season. And before we go into that, I want to talk to you, Greg, about what do you what do you think people mean when they ask about a realistic trade? Well, I think that's probably one where both sides are going to agree on it. Like we can sit here and we go, well, you can match the salaries up, and if you do X, Y, and Z, you could wind up getting Carl Anthony Towns, or you could wind up getting. Uh, Damian Lillard and yeah great it could work under the CBA but are those teams going to actually pull the trigger and say yes and usually the answer is no they will not and I think that's where where we get into this uh, is it a realistic trade or not and and I think that's the that's the toughest thing Or, or realistic free agent signings yeah Kevin Durant's a free agent this year yes if you make x amount of moves you can get to a max slot as his son's roster. But here's my problem with that. Don't you think uh, we would have said Tyson Chandler was not a realistic free agent signing because nobody had mentioned him before the the topic even came up? No, Tyson Chandler was the kind of name that you could go, okay, I believe that. But LaMarcus Aldridge was one where I would have told you not a chance in hell. And it turned out it was slightly better than not a chance in hell, but they wound up still not getting him. So, like... I think you could get somebody that's on the downturn that used to be a star. Now, I don't have a name off the top of my head. Uh, that might Well, let's happen. just keep going. Hold on. I, I want to I explore more the concept of realistic trade. Because, sure, you can even get, like, what um, an objective person might consider a doable trade. Like, in the last few years, I've been part of SB Nation's annual mock draft. And, and uh, most of those years we've been allowed to do trades. And so you would think that fan bo- boys from two different franchises making or three or more franchises making a trade would make it realistic because fans of a team are always a little polarized on their own players. They either love their players or they hate their players. Uh, and if you love a player, you overvalue them. And if you hate a player, you undervalue them. That's just natural. So if you can get the fans of another team who have that who who suffer from that same affliction and you execute a trade then you can call that realistic. But my concern, my issue with overall coming up with what's a realistic trade is that doesn't mean the GMs of those teams would actually make that same trade because they have their own biases. They have their own favorites on their team that they overvalue and undervalue. How many years in a row did we hear that Danny Ainge would not include Terry Rozier in any trade? I think he, we we heard he was like their favorite player out of all the out of all the players on his roster. He's the one that they would not trade early in his career. And then Terry Rozier had that great playoff run last year, and now and suddenly people started talking about Rozier being a huge target in restricted free agent free agency. And now this year. Rozier has been awful, and now he probably he might not even get an offer in restricted free agency. So, um, it all <laughs> GMs have their own favorites, the the guys they love, the guys they hate, and uh, they they value them differently too. So when you say realistic trades, I have a hard time with that because 
I can tell you a fair trade from my point of view, and that's fairly myopic because I don't watch every minute of every basketball game. And anyone's, even people who watch all the basketball games, don't know, don't have the same opinion of players that uh, the guys who actually execute the trades do. So I think it's, um, I think it's tough, and that's why I almost never recommend like this trade or that trade because I, 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 I get struck by, but. <laughs> what I would do isn't necessarily what anybody else would do. Well, so, uh, that's, that's what I call the Garrett Seiler effect. Remember Garrett, who was a Lance blanks, like yeah. pet project that he was in love with where everybody else went, this isn't an NBA talent. Like you wind up there. There is a rationality in this because yes, these are humans. This isn't NBA 2k 19's uh, AI. That's trying to decide if a trade is fair or not. And, and to your point, realistic when that said is usually interchangeable to people and fans online as fair right and and yes uh, what looks like a fair deal to us and and to everybody may not be the case to gms and it comes down to what's their vision too and that's something we don't have a clear view of right now either is what is james jones vision for this Phoenix Suns team, for this roster? What is he looking to accomplish? Does he believe in uh, in some of these core pieces? Does he think TJ Warren is part of this future or Josh Jackson? Does he not like any of them? I don't, I don't know where he mm -hmm. stands. And that's the toughest part about trying to project something that's realistic or fair for this Suns team is uh, we don't know what James Jones really views. We we know he's likely has an affinity for Kelly Oubre and Tyler Johnson because he acquired them, but we don't know. We don't know what he thinks about the head coach at this point. We don't even know if his well, job's safe. And we can even talk about the Kelly Oubre, Oubre trade for a minute. I know, Greg, you want to give James Jones all the credit in the world for that trade. Uh-huh. Um, but... That was a uh, trade of, of a happy accident. You know, it did just happen. And on some level, you could say that maybe the Suns didn't like Kelly Oubre and they really wanted Dylan Brooks, who ended up being out for the year. So no one actually saw Dylan Brooks this year. Um, and Brooks has more years under team control, low salary control, like two more years than Kelly Oubre, who now is an unrestricted or a restricted free agent. And will suddenly uh, the Suns either have to let him go for nothing or pay him 15 million or so. Um, so yeah, that James Jones would have rathered Dylan Brooks, but it's also possible he was never even offered Kelly Oubre and maybe he really liked Kelly Oubre better, but he wasn't offered Kelly Oubre in that trade because the Grizzlies wanted Kelly Oubre and that was the primary trade partners, um, uh, that, on a deal that was trying to be brokered by Washington who messed it all up. So <clears throat> even then, excuse me, I'm choking on my own spit. Even then, you don't know uh, how much James Jones likes or did like or or will like Kelly Oubre or Dylan Brooks or Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson's better than Ryan Anderson. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> but cost six more million than Ryan Anderson was going to cost. So that will end the other factors. We don't know how much Jeff Bauer is going to have an influence here. Who does he like? Who doesn't he like? I mean, you could, you're going to make the assumption that Darren Collison would be a point guard that they targeted because uh, that Bauer drafted him, if I remember that correctly. But there's a lot of assumptions you have to make, and we're not going to have any clue uh, until after the lottery even, uh, well after the lottery, but you're going to maybe we, if they make a may, trade, we'll get We may idea. never know. 
Well, that's true. Who the Suns really like, because you know who they really liked is the guy they ended up with. No matter whether they like that person or not, right? Oh, yeah, in the draft for <laughs> sure. But I, but I, even in trades, the, yeah. you know, trade acquisitions, uh, whoever came in is the guy you always wanted. Yeah, well, that's true because you win a press conference like that, and that's the main concern of organizations. And and the thing is, everything you read, especially you look at the NFL draft right now, and you've got a million rumors and, uh, you know, who's doing what, yada, yada. Well, all of those come through a biased lens. I mean, the team's going to reach out to, to reporters with their angle on things uh, and, and looking through their prism and haven't been on that side uh that that information is obviously skewed to to be team team friendly details are left out uh, the facts are are positioned in a way that makes it makes a team look a certain way and that's that's neither good nor bad that's just the team covering their backside agents do the same thing players to a lesser extent it depends on who the player player is and and if they're savvy enough i mean lebron james very much skews things that he says to to fit a particular narrative and some players do that others are more freewheeling with their comments but things are are certainly skewed so don't we can't even when we get into things and you hear oh this is who the suns really like or don't like you can't even take that at face value or this is how certain things happened or didn't happen you can't take that at full face value either you've got to try to understand where did the information come from and who does it benefit most yeah, exactly. And, and and that's it. It could come from agents. It could come from players' friends. It could come from all these, all these rumors. They can come from like the 15th guy down the totem pole in a team's front office who was talking to the 12th guy down the totem pole who they both agreed that X would fit well with the team. And now they've told or a media person. And now team source says that the team is interested in X. It could um, it could be a scout that's standing for the guy that he likes and and saying that he very much likes this person and then all of a sudden it's the Suns organization or or right. the Cardinals whoever it is uh, have interest in X Y or Z so you've got to take so, that into consideration yeah and then you got it also that that same source may not be telling the truth all the time too like James Jones apparently was. Um, was approached by some media on a, at a road game, I believe, and and they asked him, or maybe scouting a college game, and and they asked him about Ja Morant, and James Jones gave an answer that sounded like he might like Ja Morant better than Zion Williamson, and to me that sounds completely nonsensical, not only from a talent point of view, but also from a James Jones point of view. Just back in January, James Jones to on Brightside Night made it totally clear that there he had no interest in adding a 19 year old point guard to the team and that was when John Morant was the number two prospect even at that time uh and he said he had no interest in, in adding a 19 year old to the team because the, their future is now in a 19 year old point guard your point guard of the future is by definition the future not the present so I'm gonna I'm gonna read this quote to you when you draft as high as we have in the draft, top five, top 10, that's a potential proposition where the best player could fit you right now. Maybe a college, maybe a college guy, a four-year guy, someone who's more mature, 22, 23 years old, kind of like a Mikel Bridges. But if you take a guy in the top five, everyone wants you to go get a guy who can be the next Hall of Fame point guard at 18 or 19, a.k.a. John Morant. 
if you add an 18 or 19 year old with a 20 or 21 year old, which is the current core in the, on the Suns, you have that point guard of the future. But the future is now. And that's why free agency or the draft are your two options. For us, it's, it'll, it'll be most likely free agency. So sure sounds like in January, he wasn't in love with Ja Morant. Maybe watching one game of Ja changed his mind, but I, I really doubt it. Which to me thinks, okay, what are realistic trades? And we'll go back to what that is. And it's probably trades that free up cap space to then pursue more free agents. Because right now where they're sitting, uh, based on uh, Sam Vecini's article, it looked like they had about $8.9 million to potentially spend if they do nothing at this point. Uh, yeah, it all depends on what holds. you count for. It all depends on what you count for uh, cap holds and and uh, uh, which players you think you're going to keep and which players you're not. I got us. I got the Suns down to around seven million if they keep the cap holds for some players and release some others. So okay. Sam's got a slightly different variation at, at the eight or nine, but it's all right in that range between yeah, so, seven and ten million. Okay, so even at seven and ten million, you're not a major player. Actually, you know anything. what? Let's add Sam and let's start talking to Sam about this stuff. What do you think? All right. Yep. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with Sam Vicini of The Athletic to talk Suns. The Sun Solar Panel Podcast, now available on Spotify. Just search Sun Solar Panel. Now, back to three awkward guys talking about the Suns. Welcome back into the Sun Solar Panel. Greg Esposito, Dave King, and extremely excited to welcome in Sam Vecini, a veteran NBA writer and uh, covering all things NBA for The Athletic and, and all around the internet. I highly recommend following him on Twitter, reading him on The Athletic. Sam, how are you, my friend? Man, where where is the time gone? I am now considered a veteran writer. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, when, when like 600 uh, random guys a day come into the fray, you just have to last like 10 weeks to be considered a veteran <laughs> at this point. It's a good so. point. It's a very good point at this stage. No, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, yeah, it's some fun writing about the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to know. We've got the NBA playoffs going on. Uh, all this excitement, <laughs> and how did you draw the short straw to have to write an in-depth piece on the Phoenix Suns and what they might do this off-season? <laughs> well, you know what? Like the playoffs are fun. I enjoy watching the playoffs. I break it down on my podcast. Like you know, look, the playoffs are great. Basketball is awesome. But at the end of the day, what my responsibility is at the athletic is to talk more on the team building side, right? Like I, I look at things more from like the bigger picture scale, I guess, and try and figure out where things are going to go. So, uh, you know, it's funny, but I, I love this stuff. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't love it. I think it's fantastic. Well, well, well we think it's fantastic too, Sam. Uh, anytime, a non-local writer writes something that isn't a complete joke article about the Suns. Uh, we just got to like sop it up and, and just, we're just going to um, cherish it all summer long. So we definitely appreciate this. Yeah, no, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to sit you here and tell you. didn't even mention goats. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, uh, I don't think I pulled punches necessarily on Robert Sarver and James Jones and some of the stuff I've heard, but like, yeah, look, it's kind of an idiot-proof situation now in a lot of ways. Like, you hey. know, may, may, oh, uh, hold my uh, beer is what Robin <laughs> Sarver's saying right now. <laughs> like, oh. they, they have DeAndre Ayton, they have Devin Booker. Like, 
this is a situation that so many organizations would be hoping for and clamoring for. Like this, you got to be able to figure this one out. Yeah, yeah, but we're we're the eors of of fan bases. We sit here and go, yeah, but you know, we've we've been through ten years of uh, of this and false hope and and seen different things. But I, I, let's start with kind of where you were talking, uh, James Jones. And uh, and Robert Sarver, what is the perception around the league of the of the, removing the interim tag of James Jones and then the hiring of Jeff Bauer as well? So Jeff Bauer, I will say, like people that I've talked to say that he adds a real level of credibility, right? Like he is actually a guy that has been around. He knows what he's doing. They need someone that can do this now. I don't necessarily know what exactly his role is going to be within the hierarchy, right? Like he has a title, but it's very unclear. Like, is he the number two guy? Is Trevor uh, Buckstein still going to be the number two guy? Like what, what, how are they going to be on the same level? You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there are still some questions there. I would imagine that Trevor is going to handle more of the cap related stuff and Jeff is going to handle just some more granular thought processes on decision-making. Um, but ultimately it's always going to be James's call and it's always going to be Robert's call, you know, at the end of the day, given that Robert Sarver has never stopped meddling in any organization. James's call with Robert's permission or Robert's call with James being the mouthpiece with, with Trevor Buckstein being the guy that figures out, does it work within the cap and how do we make this actually uh, work from an NBA standpoint? I mean, that's my impression as well. Um, yeah, they um, the Stan Van Gundy obviously likes Jeff Bowery, worked with him for four years, and I find it interesting. Stan's the one who hired Jeff, but Jeff's the one who fired Stan because <laughs> Jeff was the GM, but Stan was the president of basketball operations. So that's that's quite interesting. And and uh, the Detroit fans complain that Jeff Bauer's biggest problem is is that he wasn't the adult in the room. So either he was totally on board with all the awful draft decisions that the Pistons made in, in those four years he was in Detroit and the trades and, well, not necessarily the trades. They won those, but the free agent signings where they accidentally hard capped themselves on July 1st at noon uh, yeah. signing at, I believe it was Langston Galloway, um, that Jeff Bauer wasn't the adult in the room. But the problem is when the adult or the, the guy you're trying to control is Stan Van Gundy, I'm not sure there's, that's possible. Whereas in in Phoenix, you can't control Robert Sarver for sure, but you can potentially, as Jeff Bauer, um, give a little bit of of adulting to uh, an NBA front office anyway, with James Jones being so new to it. So I'm hoping he has a quiet kind of the presence that see the guy who um, had a small role in the recruitment, not a large one, but a small role in the recruitment was Lon Babby, who vetted some of the mm-hmm. uh, some of the candidates, and I can see Lon trying to put someone in that front office who will just help round out, you know, fill in some missing links and missing skills, and and the skills that Bauer brings are definitely skills that the current front office did not have. I was just going to say, having spent five years within that organization, I, I can tell you that the structure of this isn't really going to matter. It's it's very much. Uh, kind of a, a game of thrones whoever's willing to do whatever it takes to to get in favor with robert and and have his idea reign supreme is the one that's uh likely going to have the power and the way this is structured i think that falls on james jones because everything i've heard jeff bauer very nice guy very 
very knowledgeable around the league, but he's not the guy that's going to uh, going to try to be the loudest room in the voice. And, and knowing Trevor uh, Buckstein, that's the same way. So I think this defaults to James Jones is going to be the voice, whether he's the adult in the room or not. Well, you know, here's the thing about where the Suns are right now, because the things that like I hear are that this team really needs to up its like internal communication even, right? Like they have really, really poor internal communication among all of the staffers. So like if Jeff Bauer can just like play a calming role in those waters, this is probably a win, right? Uh, if they can just find a way to just deal with communication internally. Like that, that's the biggest thing. Right. And it goes toward like what you hear. And, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski reported, like I can tell you the same from talking to executives around the league. Like the, the Suns just don't have a presence out on the scouting trail. Right. Like <laughs> no, of like maybe a guy or two, like here or there. It's not that people don't see the Phoenix Suns on the scouting trail. It's that they don't see a lot of them on the scouting trail. So it's, it's just a weird deal, man. And then you t- you hear about like, oh yeah, we're gonna use technology to identify recruiters, <laughs> identify uh, uh, YouTube, you know, potential draftees and scouting. <laughs> and it's just like, is this supposed to be some massive innovation? What if like, you found out, Sam? What if you found out that Sam Bassini was the primary source of draft scouting for the Phoenix Suns? Uh, I would laugh. <laughs> I would say, give me you know, $200,000, like, but I don't want to, and I, and I don't want to belittle this at all because really haven't the draft scouts been about as accurate in predicting, you know, NBA talent as front offices. Um, yeah, I mean, look like it's, it's an inexact science. I, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. I think that John Gavoni and Mike Schmitz, like those guys are really good at what they do. Um, and you talk to some NBA scouts and you come away a little bit less impressed with the profession as uh, you get to know them. But there are really, really smart people in these organizations for the most part, like especially at the highest levels of organizations like like for instance, like if I talk to Lawrence Frank on something, if I talk to, you know, someone else like that, like I come away remarkably impressed with these human beings, right? Like at the end of the day, these guys are basketball effing geniuses. I don't even know if I can swear on this podcast. Uh, you like, can. You Go certainly ahead. can. Okay. That that's good to know for the future. Yeah. Uh, these guys are <laughs> super smart guys for the most part. <clears throat> and it, it's kind of what's maddening about the James Jones hire in general a little bit. Because James, like, kind of, I don't really mind when people skip the line if there is, like, an intuitive genius there. Um, I, I haven't seen that yet. Uh, and just in what I've heard about the way the organization is running, um, I don't know that that is the case with uh, James. Robert Sarver would never hire an intuitive genius. <laughs> like, because that person but, would threaten Robert Sarver's existence. Right. So like, here's the thing, like there are really smart executives out there that they could have looked at. Like, uh, I don't know if David Griffin would have wanted to come back to Phoenix after having been in this game of Thrones style, uh, situation, but like call David and see what's going on. Um, yeah, I had a quick little exchange with David one time and he basically said that, um, he doesn't imagine the sun's ever calling him. Yeah. That's <laughs> insane. By the way, uh, uh-huh. David is, 
Griff is legit like one of the smartest people working in basketball. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, we would all love it if he would have come back here. Well, and when when a guy who literally grew up in your franchise, I mean, he started as a PR intern in 92-93, worked his way through the PR department, wound up in basketball ops, all in Phoenix. Uh doesn't want doesn't believe that you'll get a he'll get a call or get even an opportunity to come back home if you will. Uh, that's a problem. And that, that that's, right. that's concerning. <laughs> so, so like the thing that worries me about James Jones is that he didn't like come up in this, right? Like he was an assistant GM for like one year. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what you hear coming out of the organization right now are the hallmarks of an executive that is still learning on the job. A little bit and that's that's a scary proposition whenever you have guys out on the marketplace who wouldn't have to learn on the job right like you can try and reach out to Mike there you can try and reach out to uh mike winger with the clippers you can try and reach out to trent redden who just got who's probably going to go to new orleans to go back with say him. yeah you try and reach out to those Rachel other organizations Mike. are doing yes right like you you can try and reach out to these guys who are genuine like basketball front office guys who can help you run the day to day of the organization. I, you know, we'll see what happens with James Jones. Like I'm not going to rule anything out with him because he's still a relatively new figure in all of this front office world. And I, I wish him the best, but you know, just what you've heard so far, it, it is a little bit concerning. <clears throat> So, so what we've established so far is a subscription to the Athletic, and maybe ESPN Insider isn't a significant enough uh, scouting department for an NBA franchise. So, <laughs> I, I think we tend to agree there. But you, you called this in the, you know, you called this basically an, an idiot-proof situation. You have DeAndre Ayton. You talk about this in the so piece. James De- Jones proof. De- Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, uh, and 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 you talk about how those are are quality building blocks. But then in the piece you get into, okay, if that's the case, what does the future look like this off season looking into your crystal ball? And and for those that haven't fully read the piece, what, what do you look at this off season as being kind of the approach that you feel the Suns uh, are going to take? Not that they should, uh, but, but that, that they're going to look at taking this off season. Well, yeah, it's really interesting. I think a lot of it depends on the draft lottery, right? Uh, What pick do they end up with? Where do they uh, end up selecting? If they're in the top two, I think a lot of things just kind of fall into place a little bit more naturally. Uh, If they're not in the top two, I think that things get more complicated. Uh, You know, one thing that I would expect is that they try and get some sort of salary cap space right they have the ability to do so pretty easily i think like i don't know about you guys but like i wouldn't want to have both tj warren and kelly Oubre on my team when they're both gonna have to be paid 20 to 25 million dollars a year combined something like that at the end of the day so like with mikhail bridges waiting to play (laughs) right and mikhail's there and josh is there like there's there's just a lot there Right. Especially if you end up at number one, like Zion Williamson is going to take, you know, minutes to four. It's there. There's just a lot there still that they need to figure out. So I look at TJ Warren as like a prime trade candidate. Like he's very interesting 
in a lot of ways because the three-point shot improvement, while still small sample, is very interesting. Um, he does still tend to have this like tendency, that's bad English, but uh, to ISO unnecessarily. But I wonder if like you get him with the right coach, you can just kind of break that habit and go, hey, TJ, we still want you to be aggressive, but we want you to shoot the three off the catch as 50% of your offense instead of 30% of your offense, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah I wonder um, how, how that's all going to shake out. Cause clearly TJ, um, he had ankle issues and he just, at some point just decided, you know what? My ankle's kind of sore. I'm not going to play. And the team agreed that he wasn't going to play. And then he never came back. And the only, he would in late January, he was only five attempts five three-point attempts short of getting a quarter-million-dollar bonus. And he never even played another game the last 33 games. And it was really common knowledge that he was healthy enough to have played in the last few weeks of the season and just didn't. It's very, very weird. It's very weird. I don't really understand what <laughs> happened there. Um, uh, go, it's another, go another hallmark of, uh, of the Sun situation, that We've seen this happen... Uh, but, we a few thought, ways. <clears throat> but we thought that kind of thing was, well, we hoped that kind of thing was in the past, that it was that uh, James Jones would be able to smooth that out a little bit. And you know what? They made some huge progress with, with Devin Booker. A year ago, Devin Booker, had a, his exit interview was, I'm tired of losing. I'm never going to miss the playoffs again. These, this team needs to make some big changes, blah, 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 blah. This year in the same exit interviews, in the same season that T.J. Warren just decided not to play the last 33 games, Devin Booker said, you know what? The culture has already changed. I think we're really moving toward the future. We know what winning basketball can look like. And he's talking about a 10-game stretch out of the season where Kelly Oubre and Tyler Johnson were healthy and adding just a level of maturity to the Suns rotation that had seven guys age 22 or younger in it. Yeah, um, like having an adult guard actually helps. Yes. <laughs> Even if it's Tyler Johnson, it was right. amazing the difference. And we had talked all season how all you needed was a competent adult guard playing next to Devin Booker, and the team would look so different. And they did. They won six out of ten games, including two wins against conference leaders. Um, yeah, and like Tyler and Johnson shot like shit yeah. while he was in Phoenix, and he was still a very useful upgrade. For yep. He was actually the, the calming influence in closing situations like right. um, Devin Booker went through a phase where he rightly could not trust anybody around him in closing situations. So he had like something like a 75 percent usage rate for a while in clutch situations when the That's Suns actually beautiful. had a chance to win. And it wasn't because Devin Booker was being selfish because he actually had a huge reputation for passing the ball uh, for to to good to shooters who just couldn't make the shot in closing. Even that 59 point game he had, um, he passed the ball for three open threes in the last minute and a half and didn't take a shot. Un unfortunately, uh, they were mostly to Jimmer for dead who couldn't even get Jimmer. the same zip code. <laughs> and one was to Troy Daniels. Yeah. And, Shout out Jimmer, uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> what, what a move. <laughs> Oh my uh, gosh! So, so in this trade scenario, you're talking, you're looking at moving a TJ Warren in the piece. You talk maybe a Josh Jackson. How uh, how do you accomplish that to to get this cap space? Some some of our listeners may not understand how 
how that would work and how that would free up cap space. So could you kind of walk us through what that would look like? Sure. So there are a lot of NBA teams this summer because the cap is rising a little bit because we're kind of getting farther and farther out from that disaster summer that was 2016, if I remember correctly, might have been 2015. Um, I think it was 2016 uh, where they just gave out like money like it was nothing and like totally threw away flexibility for multiple years with many organizations. We're getting farther and farther from that now, which has created a circumstance where more teams have actual cap space to utilize now. Um, I, I would guess that something like half the NBA, maybe a little bit more than that, has like $10 million in cap space this summer. Maybe not max cap space, but enough to really be able to make moves. So um, you're not, sorry, Sam, you're not worried that we're going to have 2016 all over again because of the money that's available? I, I'm i not to an extent. Um, I think that the NBA has generally learned and has become more fiscally conscious in regard to length of contracts. Um, it's kind of similar to what we're seeing in Major League Baseball. Like Major League Baseball, no one over 30 is getting like money right now basically everyone is trying to trickle the money down to younger players because they understand that's where the value is it's not to that extent in basketball yet but i do think that front office executives have learned from the mistake that was giving jan mahin me four years 70 million um, <laughs> timofey mozgov yeah like timofey mozgov got 464 luol Deng got 472 from evan turner got 470 <laughs> i believe like or 475 harrison barnes got 484 or something like we're, we're just getting farther and farther from that now and the books are getting clearer and clearer that was the same summer that um wasn't it that tyler johnson and alan crab got those big offers from the nets it was too? Yep, it absolutely was. So as we get farther and farther from that, and as these contracts now become one-year deals and theoretically maybe like semi-valuable to other teams, uh, if they're looking to clear cap space for the summer of 2020, why you would do that, I don't really know. It's a really, really bad free agency class. Mm -hmm. But some teams just like to clear their books, <clears throat> which is not the worst strategy in the world. Um I think we're getting to a place where teams are a bit more fiscally conscious and you look particularly at the TJ Warren contract. Like I think TJ Warren would probably get slightly less than what he's on, on the marketplace. Like I think you might be looking at more of like a mid-level exception deal. That's, you know, four years, 40, you know, four years, 39, about 10, about 10 a year. Right. And he's at, you know, I think three thirty-five left on his deal. So yeah. it's not the worst deal in the world. Like, I think that it's reasonable for a team that has cap space to decide, hey, we really like TJ Warren. We like what he showed as a three-point shooter this year. We like the idea of getting him as our sixth man off the bench, particularly. Like, that's a role that he, I think, probably will thrive in at some point in his career. Um, he started more games for the Suns this year than you know, came off the bench, but I think for a good team, that's probably where you want him. You want him as a sixth man that can get buckets. That's a good deal for a sixth man. Let's trade the Suns, maybe a young, interesting-ish player and a second round pick for TJ Warren. The Suns are going to get cap space. 
we're going to take TJ into our cap space because we think of him as an actual addition to our team. You know, maybe Indiana. Indiana has a lot of flexibility this summer because almost all of their guys come off the books. Thaddeus Young, Boyan Bogdanovich, you know, forwards galore are going to be off the books for them. Uh, and they're going to have to make calls on whether or not they want to bring those guys back. You know, TJ Warren, you can do something like, you know, does TJ Leaf interest the Phoenix Suns? Maybe, maybe not. I don't really know. But like, could you do something like that in a second round pick? And, you know, Phoenix clears $8 million off their books. Let me ask you, speaking of uh, value and money, so you spent a little bit of time in a, in a great way talking about TJ Warren's potential value there if he was a free agent this summer. Well, a guy who is a free agent this summer, a restricted free agent, is Kelly Oubre. Um, right. the, the word around the league, it seems like, is that he, he could get an offer as, you know, in the high teens. So I, I asked around about Kelly. Uh, particularly because I think Kelly is one of the toughest guys to gauge on this restricted free agency market because we've seen him play in the playoffs. He's been sometimes playable, sometimes not playable. Like Scott Brooks had to sit him for like multiple games and multiple playoff series because the defense just wasn't there, right? It, it wasn't there in terms of just engagedness. I guess that's kind of a word. Mm. Um, just didn't have the engaged mentality he needed at times. Uh, so Scott Brooks at him. And that's concerning for a guy that has issues in regard to also spacing the floor. So you wonder, okay, is this the kind of guy that we can move into a less primary role on a good team as our better players like Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, potentially, you know, number three overall pick, number two overall pick, number one overall pick in this draft. As they age and mature, how does Kelly fit into the scheme of this? I personally would probably be willing to pay Kelly like four, like I'd probably match up to like 460 if I was Phoenix. So Around like 15, 15 a year. A year. Yeah. I don't I don't know that I would go higher than that. Um, and if I was Phoenix, I would try and get that number more around like 12. Like it, it, he's a hard yeah. one to gauge. Like some like some executives said, like, yeah, like maybe he's a mid-level guy. Like maybe he's someone that kind of just ends up in that morass of players that, uh, you know, teams just don't necessarily quite value. I do think teams are going to take a shot on the upside. Personally, I think his salary is going to exceed the mid-level uh, and get right into like the mid-teens. But I, he's a he's a really tough one to gauge just because his production this year too, a lot of it came after the Suns were basically already eliminated and were experimenting. And I think he's done some interesting things. He can now handle off the ball, handle on the ball a little bit. He can create a little bit more in like screen scenarios. Obviously, a really good advantage scorer, creating out of spot ups. His first inclination is to drive, obviously, but like he's he's a really tough one, man. Like he is to me one of the toughest to judge. If you told me he ended up at like four forty two, I wouldn't be like totally shocked. If you told me he ended up at four seventy and someone like way overpaid, <laughs> like that would be I, a I would get that. I'd get the appeal of doing that at least. 
So, so we've you look at it and you clear some cap space. You re-sign Kelly Uber. Potentially, how do you see the Suns team filling their need at point guard? Because that is has been the number one need for eighteen months now is having a competent starting point guard. What do you think they do to address that? So the first thing is obviously what happens in the draft, right? Um, do they end up at number two realistically? Uh, you know, people around the league think James Jones is a really big fan of John Morant. Um, like, really, really likes him a lot. I don't think they would take Ja at number one uh, because Robert Sarver likes money. And hmm. taking or like passing on Zion Williamson is just passing on yeah. so much money. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> um, but well, I, but like, it's not, it, gosh, it shouldn't even be that kind of proposition, right? No, I mean, it should. Zion like, Williams is so much more talented. Yes, like Zion is very clearly the best player in this draft. Like very, very obviously, clearly the best player. But even say that for whatever reason, James Jones and the basketball operations department has evaluated John Morant to be better than Zion Williamson. Or, or we can do this. Let's say this. Let's not even say it's incompetence on Phoenix's part. Let's say that Zion's medical checks come back with like some long-term questions about how long everything holds up. Right. Um, you know, it says like, you know, right around 25, he might start to break down me. I would still take that. Like I would still be happy mm -hmm. with six or seven years of, you know, Zion being just, the freakiest athlete I've ever seen in my life. But let, let's say that happens and, you know, the Suns decide, hey, we don't want to go down this road or like the basketball operations people don't really want to go down that road. I still can't imagine that Robert Sarver is going to be like, hey, let's pass on all of this money. Let's pass on all of the merchandising, all of the attendance, all of the like national games. They're going to get national games. Whoever gets Zion Williamson is going to have 10 national games next year on TV. Yeah. Like it's, it's just crazy to me. Right. Well, yeah, especially, I mean, that would, that would be the Amari situation. Even if you got that, those medical back and you're like, Hey, six or seven years. I mean, you saw that with Amari Stoudemire. He was right. the, yeah, the biggest athletic freak for those years. And it just doesn't mean that he's going to totally drop off after either. That would be such a, myopic way of them looking at, at that for sure. And, and basically trying to create an excuse to take, uh, uh, to take uh, a, a jaw over his eye. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just floored by this whole John or James Jones loves John ja Morant thing. Um, because I mean, like uh, I get it. Like jaw's good. Like, well, like, sure, sure. But, about that. um, this, yeah. this same James Jones did an interview in January, mid January. So when he made the quote about, the people say he made uh, about John Moran, that was like in March. So, but in mid January, he went to great lengths to say that he just wouldn't take a 19 year old point guard because Devin Booker is win is in the win now years of his life. And he's not going to wait two or three or four more years for a guy to develop. And he literally said point guard. And this was January when John Morant was clearly the number two. So I don't see how his shift, since they don't do scouting anyway, I don't see how his shift completely changed his, his opinion completely changed in a couple of months. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to, how much to like take James Jones at face value, like publicly at the stage yet, right? Like, there's there some guys where like you're like, oh, either statement at face value. Yeah, like it's it's really hard. Um, and look, like you know, I'm talking to people from other organizations. Like, I've you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like 
I've talked to or not talked to people in the Phoenix organization necessarily, <laughs> but a lot of where I talk to people comes from other organizations and they believe that James does like Ja Morant, like mm. pretty a lot. Like, again, I don't think they would take Ja over Zion. I, I really don't. Um, well, but let's, good, continue. I, I was just going to say, let's operate in the, re, the, the reality that the, with the way this franchise is, uh, has not had luck. It's likely going to be the sixth or seventh pick that they wind up with. So at that point, <laughs> how, how are how are you going to plug this this glaring hole at point guard? What uh, how do you see them approaching this? Because the job would be nice if they wind up uh, at two. If we know what they'll do at one, but say say this falls in in what's more statistically likely, and it's it's a lower uh, pick than that. How how do you look at, at fixing this issue? Sure. So I think that if you end up at number five or six or whatever, the most likely pick outcome is for Phoenix right now. Um, you can look at taking another lead guard, right? Like Darius Garland's there. Kobe White's there from North Carolina. I think Kobe White would be pretty interesting in a lot of ways. Um, but if you're going to do that, I think you also do need to take another, you know, free agent flyer on a guard, um, be it a Terry Rozier, be it a, you know, maybe you take Ricky Rubio. Uh, for like a two-year, $40 million deal, if you can do that. Um, well, what about just... Corey Joseph? Sure, Corey Joseph is fine. Like one thing that I threw out there in the uh, in the story I wrote would be maybe like Josh Jackson for Fred Van Vliet or something mm -hmm. like that if the Raptors lose Kawhi and then like kind of want to retool a little bit and maybe go toward more of a long-term approach. I mean, like, I would love to talk to you guys about Josh Jackson because I have no fucking idea what to do with Josh Jackson. Like, uh, Josh Jackson is, I'll tell you right now, in a nutshell, in one statement, Josh Jackson is a higher-drafted Archie Goodwin. Uh, I oh, think wow. That's, I uh, that's, that's tough. <laughs> Dave, I don't, th I don't think that's necessarily fair. I think he's a victim of of some of this uh, chaos that's gone on too. Because if you look at it, yeah. this guy has had three coaches in, in two years, no stability in it. And he seems like a guy that really needs that leadership, somebody to help pull, yeah. pull out the talent that is there. There's no denying that there's, there's, there's talent there, but it's not focused. And when this kid is focused and, and that energy is put in the right place, he can play pretty well. You saw in the second half of both of his first two seasons, you saw flashes of the guy that you thought you were going to get in the draft. Uh, I think within the right situation with the right kind of coaching and maybe some veteran leadership around him, I, he could blossom into the guy that people expected. I don't think he's going to be a flame out like like Archie Goodwin. And Archie Goodwin was right. a, a great at stuffing the stat sheet within two feet of the rim, but couldn't do anything else. But I get the point, Dave. But I think I think there's certainly more talent there. But if it goes un, untapped in, in a situation where there's not stability, I could see it devolving into uh, an Archie Goodwin type situation. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be out of the NBA like Archie was. I mean, like the quick twitch athleticism's there. Athleticism is, I think, even higher than what Archie's was. Um, you look at the feel for the game. He does make the maddening mistakes, but then you do see the flashes where you're like, oh, he does things that like nobody else on the court can do. You know what I mean? So I don't think he's like out of the NBA at some point. I, I just well, wonder like 
No, he's going to get a ten-year career because he was the fourth pick in the draft. But there's just too, there's there honestly. are some similarities. I mean, you've got to uh, both had broken jumpers that occasionally that felt like their jumpers were much better than they actually were. Both drove hard to the basket. And Greg, you watch as much Suns as I do. They have a uh, similar ability to finish at the rim, which is mm-hmm. half the time they're getting blocked versus finishing because they they don't rise above the other players. Uh, their release is very close to their head and they have, they don't have a lot of midair wiggle and, and adjustments that they can make with the ball. And so you see guys lining up from literally 10 feet away, timing a block on a, on a windmill dunk that Jackson's trying to make in traffic and they, and they time it perfectly because he can't adjust in the air when he sees the defense coming. I mean, look, Josh Jackson plays hard and he means well, and he's got a great, much, much better attitude than Archie ever did. Archie um, succumbed to the I'm too good for this game kind of thing uh, too much. And 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 Josh does feel like he's better than he is, but he tries so hard. The problem is the maddening yeah. decisions that he makes in real time and his his inability to recognize that his, his he needs to improve in some areas that he needs to improve in. Yeah. So like trying to put all of that because like i agree with everything that you guys just said like that is a hundred percent where i'm at too it's just like how do you put all of that into context whenever you have to make a decision on essentially a nine million dollar option for the 2020 20, right. uh, 2021 season like that's not pocket change like that's not like a we should definitely 100 percent pick this up option because like i i think that at the end of the day if they don't move him this summer, they probably should pick it up just because the like risk of not picking it up is very dangerous if he ends up becoming something useful. And look, like at the end of the day, Josh is someone that you do want to bet on in a way yeah, because he is such a hard worker. He does come into games at least with an attitude that, you know, he wants to be a positive force of change. Mm-hmm. But... You, you also just have that kind of concern in the back of your mind where you wonder if the light bulb is ever going to click on in regard to decision making. And I, I do, I'm with you guys. I, I am unclear on if that's going to happen. And because of it, like I, I would really look into, you know, moving him this summer just so I didn't have to make that decision. Um, right. I would try and get like commensurate value and maybe, maybe you can't get commensurate value because everyone around the NBA sees him as a distressed asset. And they're like, eh, you know, do, do we really want to go down this road? I, I, I think some team would still be willing to take the shot, though. So he's on for $7 million next year on yep. the books. Um, do you feel like um, that it is that there is value in a trade offer of uh, the number three pick, TJ Warren and Josh Jackson, for uh, a young mid-career lead guard? Yeah, the the name that I threw out there, well, I, I didn't even throw out Josh, but I did like mention like you know, could Josh Jackson be like a Mike Conley trade chip, right? Um, my idea for Mike Conley was like the number, if they end up with like number four, or number five pick, or number three, uh, do T.J. Warren, Tyler Johnson, and that pick for Mike Conley. Um, I I really like Mike. I think he's an adult. Uh, in a way that, again, they just need adults in the backcourt. They need to start winning games so that these young kids learn just what competitive basketball at the highest level is like. Um, 
Yeah, I, well, I it's just making think. the right plays, like making the not dumb plays. How about that? Right. I mean, the, they they played. Uh, I love Jamal Crawford as an influence in the locker room, as a teammate, and all that. But he's not a point guard. You know, he never was, and he tried really hard this year to fill in a gap that the team needed. He just didn't have. He wasn't really good at it. And then the other two options were twenty-one-year-old rookies, one of whom, both of whom, had ne- had not been a league guard for more than a year of their lives before coming to the Suns this past year. Elia Kobo was only the point guard for a year over in, in France in a low-level league. And then, obviously, we all know uh, D'Anthony Melton played one year in college as a combo guard um, and then sat out a year. So that's that's what the Suns had to deal with. So Tyler Johnson was just like, oh, so wonderful. Um, you bring in a Mike Conley or or someone along that line, that, that, that level of a near all-star, and I really think the team can be a completely different looking team. Yeah, I agree. And it, part of it is putting uh, DeAndre Ayton in more favorable positions. Like DeAndre had create a lot of his offense out of the post this year. He didn't like DeAndre should be one of the premier pick and roll threats in the NBA. And he just didn't necessarily get that opportunity to do that this year, which is uh, just a missed opportunity, I would say, I guess. The end. Of well, the you day. know, DeAndre Ayton, you you pointed it out in your own article, I believe, that he put up numbers that almost no center in history has put up as a 20-year-old rookie. Yeah. Uh, and he actually had some of the most shot attempts in the league as as a as a 20-year-old center uh, franchise, you know, uh, rookie center as well. Um, I know a lot of people wanted him to be much more of a threat in the pick and roll, much more of a, especially as a roller toward the basket. And he's got the feet and he's got the, he, he figured out a spin move all by himself this year, just on the move spin move. It's just incredible, both yep. directions. Um, but I think what Igor Kokoshkov, what I really like about Igor is despite all the clamoring and all the complaints and all the arguments, Igor kept people in their lanes this year. The only one he, he, uh, couldn't uh, didn't control, I guess, was Josh. But um, DeAndre Ayton didn't take a single shot outside 15 feet, um, and he knew what he was doing. Rashawn Holmes talked already, has made a comment since the end of the season that um, he's going to go back to his 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 uh, days as a three point shooter next year for whatever team he plays for because his role on the Suns was simply as a pick and roll finisher and near the basket. Um, Igor kept people in their roles and he didn't, he didn't overplay point book with Booker as a point guard. He tried so hard not to do that. Um, and guys improved throughout the year. And, and I think DeAndre Aiden is only scratching the surface of his future. Um, Igor said at the beginning of the season, he's going to be a center. He's going to stay near the basket. He's going to improve and learn how to play defense and he's going to make the easy shots. And that's all I ask. And that's all he, all it's all DeAndre Aiden did. And I think we haven't seen, We've seen very little of the future of DeAndre Ayton, and it's already pretty darn good. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with all of that. And the thing is, though, with that, that, wow, it's very early, guys. This is this, this English for me is like four right now. Um, we, that's okay. We have the same issues. <laughs> the thing is with DeAndre is that if he is this limited guy, like that he showcased this year, it was not worth the number one overall pick just because as we've seen across the NBA, for instance, in the playoffs, like it's hard to be a center and make a significant impact in the playoffs, right? Like I think DeAndre is particularly potentially situated 
to being uh, a good playoff performer because he can really move in space. He can defend out on the perimeter. Great feet. And, like, I don't even think his footwork is all that clean yet, and he still has great feet. So I look at all of this, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. But when you take a DeAndre Ayton over Luka Doncic, over, you know, uh, Trey Young, over X, Y, and Z, Jaron Jackson, et cetera, you're doing it because you think he can be more than just like the simplified role center. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I think this was just 20 year old DeAndre. Also, uh, for those around the team all the time, and I know you. You talk to a lot of people, but um, I don't know how much you talk to DeAndre. The dude is like a 12-year-old. He's a kid. And he spent the entire season basically treating the NBA like Disneyland. And the coach knew it. He didn't have the maturity. I mean, he'd walk. He would literally in the middle of a game do the fan reaction on some shots where he'd drop his jaw and he'd freeze and he'd go, oh, my God, and look around, kind of like just the rest of us. In the middle of a game, while he was supposed to corral the rebound, he'd still corral the, the rebound. Is the best. <laughs> he is awesome because he just loves being around. And and so part of the limited role was let the kid just be a kid for a little bit and let him right. grow into it. He's got to decide when he's going to be a grown-up. And hopefully that's the next year or two versus never. Um, but this year was not the year to make the NBA – the worst thing ever for him. I mean, it was already bad enough losing all the games. If, if you can't make it at least a little bit of fun, then, uh, you know, he could be jaded the rest of his career. Well, Sam, Sam, final one here. Yeah. Sorry us. to keep it so long. Sam. <laughs> well, no, you're let, good. I'm, let, I'm just hanging out this morning. Fiance <laughs> is out, uh, out downtown right now. So I'm just drinking a coffee and hanging out. Did you say Beyonce or fiance? Because it may put you in a different stratosphere depending on which one you said. So. Definitely fiance. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, last question here. In, in talking to people around the league about the Suns, have you gotten any sense on what they're looking at from a uh, from from the standpoint of Igor Kokoshkov and what they're what they're hoping to do there? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I haven't asked a lot about Igor just because okay. I find it very weird that like. His job is apparently up for debate in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Like you just hear the reports, right? That like, you know, some people think there is a real chance that he might be let go. I, I honestly don't really have any sort of, you know, inside intelligence there. I, I would be speculating otherwise, and that's probably not fair to Igor. Um, in, in regard to job performance this year, I mean, like he did some just – it was a broken roster. I would give him a second year just cause like I would want to see what he can do with lead guards because his style of play and his scheme is very dependent on having guys who can actually run an offense. Like Devin can run an yeah. offense sort of, sort of, but it's not as clean as what like an established guy, like for instance, Goran Dragic, when he coaches the Slovenian national team or, you know, potentially a Mike Conley, if they go out and try and make a move like that. Um, so I would be interested to see him with more of a traditional lead guard and would be intrigued in giving him a second year because of it. And like you guys said, it's not that the players didn't make development throughout the course of the season. Like I thought Deandre got better defensively throughout the course of the season. I thought Mikhail got better throughout the course mm-hmm. of the season. Kelly Oubre um, was starting games and averaging 20 points a night uh, in his final, I think, 11 games. 
that he played before getting hurt. Uh, so, like, he's not stunning the development of players. He is... I mean, look, they won 19 games, so, like, I can't really say anything if they fire him. But right. I, I would give him another year just to kind of see what they can do. So I, I'd like to almost attribute it to when Brett Brown started with the Sixers. And I'm not saying... Igor is as good a coach as Brett Brown, but Brett Brown survived um, like 15 and 10 win seasons because they knew the players were developing and the players were, you know, he, he was building basketball players. And I think right. so far that's what Igor has shown as opposed to the prior coaches the Suns have had recently. And it's something that's worth mentioning too, that uh, like guys like Devin Booker are saying, the culture has gotten better. Like we feel right. like we do know what it takes to win. Like if, if Devin was out here like shitting on the coach, that'd be a problem, right? Like if there was even right. some sort of like passive aggressiveness toward the coach, that'd be a problem. And I mean, you guys are a lot closer to the situation than I am, but I don't really see that in regard to Igor all that much. No, actually when he was dazed from getting fired, um, that's when they went on, went on their run of winning six and six games and, out of 10, um, they they all really rallied around him. They didn't go to bat and say, we love Igor to the press, but uh, they definitely played their best basketball when he was on his shakiest ground. Yeah, so, so it's just a, he's a very interesting coach to me. I'll be very intrigued by what happens with yeah. the Suns going forward. Honestly, like, I wrote 8,000 words, and, like, I feel like I could have, like, I had to, like, edit myself on the Suns <laughs> because – I legit find their situation fascinating. Like we started the conversation by saying like, how did you draw the short straw? I honestly like didn't see it that like, honestly, I find the Suns fascinating. Like I really do. They're one of the most interesting long-term teams right now. If only because they do have the core in the, <clears throat> I'm sorry, in the outlines of a very intriguing team long term uh, and finally somebody has made me feel better about dedicating three years of my life to doing this podcast for free he is sam vicini right. you can find him on twitter at sam underscore vicini you can read all of his work including that eight thousand word piece about the suns over at the athletic and you can listen to him on the game theory podcast sam really appreciate your time this morning yeah of course guys anytime you just got done listening to the solar panel for more great Suns content, check out the Timeline podcast for stuff like this. There's no way that Hakeem Olajuwon makes his own pancakes. <laughs> I'm really sorry that you just made a great coherent point and that's all I had to respond with, but it, all it did was lead me to look up the fact that Hakeem Olajuwon made $110 million in his NBA career and God knows how much since then. He easily has someone at his ranch to make his pancakes, right? That's The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.